0: Good morning, everyone. I do want to encourage you to check the um, announcements out, for especially for the February calendar dates and Ash Wednesday. Um, The Lenten services this year, instead of the midweek service, is going to be on on the evening of Sundays uh, at different churches throughout the town. Um, We're trying to get a New Brunswick Ministerium started again. And the way we decided to do it was by having joint services with churches who were willing to work together. Uh, We have not had a New Brunswick ministerium for over 20 years, I'm told, uh, and we're trying to go back to it. So uh, for Lent this year, we're going to be sharing on Sunday evenings uh, at uh, Canterbury House next door, St. Albans, St. John the Evangelist, First and Second Reformed, and Christ Church as a way to try to get the churches involved again. We tried to get the Lutheran Church involved but uh, uh, we weren't successful so we're, we're going to try it one more time next year and see if it works. I don't think there's anything else. Um, it's a beautiful sunny winter day without any snow. Yes! What a wonderful Christmas. As long as we have snow, or, uh, snow on Christmas Day, it's a great, it's a great winter. Let's uh, our hearts and our minds out from our routines and our worlds uh, that we live in, and uh, concentrate our hearts and minds on worship, and do so in prayer. Let's pray. Almighty God, you pour out the spirit of grace and supplication on all who desire it. Deliver us from cold hearts and wandering thoughts, that with steady minds and burning zeal we may worship you in spirit and in truth, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. The peace of Christ be with you. What I, uh, what I failed to remember to say at the beginning is happy birthday. Uh, we're celebrating our, let's see,
1: 1843,
0: 169th birthday. But who's counting? Exactly. Um. Remember that we were organized on Valentine's Day, 1843, uh, a very significant time. And I've asked uh, Steve to give us a little bit of a history today during the prayer time. I hope you're still up for that, Steve. Okay, great. Let's call ourselves to worship using um, the word of God. Our help is in the name of the Lord, creator of heaven and earth. Grace to you in peace from God, our Creator, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God for this new day. Thanks be to God for the creation that surrounds us, for the gift of God's presence as we worship, for strength to live boldly for the Lord. Thanks be to God for this new day. Come, let us worship the Lord. While we are quick to bemoan the fact when things go wrong or badly in our lives, we are much slower to return thanks when things go right. It behooves us to remember that if we feel alone, it is not God who has moved away. Let us pray. Our words are feeble as we come to you in prayer. Even though you are faithful to us, we too often forget you. You have lifted us up when we have fallen into despair. You have turned our tears into laughter and joy. You have protected us when we have been in danger. You will never move. Yet we move away from you. We turn away from your presence to seek the fleeting affirmation of others. We forget your name to clamor after prosperity at all costs. Turn us around again that we might see your face and receive your mercy. true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. To all who have received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Therefore, in Christ, we stand forgiven. Thanks be to God. Hear what our Lord Jesus Christ says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so let us live. <laughs> As we come to the Word of God, let us pray. Lift up your hearts. Let us lift them to the Lord our God. O God, the strength of all who put their trust in you, mercifully accept our prayers. And because in our weakness we can do nothing good without you, give us the help of your grace, that in keeping your commandments we may please you both in will, and deed through jesus christ our lord who lives and reigns with you and the holy spirit one god forever and ever
1: the first lesson is the cleansing of naaman naaman commander of the army of the king of aram was a great man and in high favor with his master because by him the lord had given victory to aram The man, though a mighty warrior, suffered from leprosy. Now the Aramians, on one of their raids, had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my lord were with the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord just what the young girl from the land of Israel had said. And the king of Aram said, Go then, and I will send along a letter to the king of Israel. He went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of garments. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you my servant Naaman, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to give death or life that this man sends word to me to cure a man of leprosy? Just look and see how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me, that he may learn that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and halted at the entrance of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a message to him, saying, Go wash in the Jordan. Seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became angry and went away, saying, I thought that for me he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, and would wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. Are not Abana and Parhor the rivers of Damascus? Better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? He turned and went away in a rage. But his servants approached and said to him, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you have not done it? How much more, when all he said to you was, Wash and be clean. So he went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. This is the word of the Lord.
0: The second lesson comes to us from the gospel according to St. Mark chapter 1 text in which Jesus heals a leper. A leper came to him, begging him, and kneeling, he said to him, If you choose, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I do choose. Be made clean. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And After sternly warning him, He sent him away at once, saying to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely, and to spread the word, so that Jesus could no longer go into a town openly, but stayed out in the country, and people came to him from every quarter. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's not too often that good PR becomes bad news. But in the case of the healing of the leper, when he goes back and starts to freely spread the word, the consequence is that Jesus can no longer go into the towns to preach and to minister to the people. What does that mean in terms of what we as witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ ought or should or are doing as witnesses in the world in which we live? I'm going to leave that question to rest with us for a while. Because I believe that there's something underlying both of these texts from the Old Testament and New Testament that we need to understand before we can answer that question honestly. Let's begin by asking a simple question. How would we define a miracle? Any attempts? Tom. Something that happens that's physically impossible. Theologians have basically said that a miracle is something that controverts or contradicts the normal laws of nature. Same difference. Only fancier words. So, we have, in the case of Elisha and the leper and Jesus and the leper, A miracle. In both cases, though, something happens that is important when it comes to the kingdom of God. When Naaman comes to the prophet Elisha and says, I'd like to be cured, the prophet Elijah says to him, go down to the Jordan River and wash yourself seven times. A good, holy number. The number for completion, seven days, seven dunks in the river. Naaman's response, of course, is, why the Jordan? And you know why, of course, right? The Jordan is one of the dirtiest rivers in all of the Middle East. It's usually muddy. It is probably what we call today a wadi, uh, glorified wadi or glorified uh, creek, if you will. It's not the cleanest river. It ended up being basically the sewage line for most of Jerusalem. So he's telling Naaman to go to the river, wash himself in one of the filthiest rivers in the Middle East, and of course Naaman refuses. I could could go into a clean river back in Damascus. Come on, why would I do that? And then of course his very humble servants Take the argument to to the next step and simply say, if he had told you to do something really, really hard, you would have done it because you're a strong leader. He's next to the king. He's part of the king's court and around. All the prophet told you to do was go down and wash seven times. So why not give it a shot? And lo and behold, when he does, he's cured. One has to wonder what happened to all the shekels of gold and garments, whether they were left at the king's court or with Elisha's community. But nonetheless, when he is done, he is restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he is clean, and the miracle has happened. The king did not know about Elisha's ability to do this, was terrified that somehow or other this was a trick from the king of Aram, that if he wouldn't heal Naaman, there would be war on the pretext of his holding out on something he could do and wouldn't. But after Naaman is healed, there is no other context given to us. We have no idea what happens in the courts of the king. In the New Testament, Jesus actually does reach out his hand and touch the man. And the leper is cured. But Jesus asks one condition. He says, go to the temple and offer whatever Moses commanded when we are healed from a disease. Instead, he goes out and does the best PR job he knows how, thinking that it's good news to tell about the miraculous. And Jesus' ministry is hindered because of it. The principle in both of these stories that I think we need to understand when it comes to the miraculous is, number one, Miracles may controvert or contradict the laws of nature, but they are not necessarily supernatural events. They can involve the most routine of instruments. If you will, and forgive me if this sounds uh, disrespectful, but there is not much difference in the minds of most people who believe in the miraculous to treat modern medicine the way Naaman treated the River Jordan. And that is sad. The argument of the servant to Naaman is an argument that we need to make to ourselves when that happens. If modern medicine can accomplish the healing, why not let God heal us in this way? And then the second thing we need to understand about miracles is that they require obedient response. Miracles do not happen just to make you happy. The purpose of miracles in the New Testament is to verify that Jesus is the Messiah, and if a miracle happens today, it is just as much a sign and seal of God's activity in the world, and we need to see it as a call to obedience. Obedience not only to share the message of what has happened to us, but to give the credit to God. And you see, that is in fact the third point about these miracles. In both cases, God is glorified. It is not the healer who stands out as the super-duper hero. The mighty God, the hero God of Isaiah, is the God who heals the leper in both cases. It is God who heals us, even through modern medicine. How many of you have taken a medication prescribed by a doctor and had an allergic reaction to it? Sometimes medicine takes multiple attempts. It is not a perfect science, always. There is always a providential element in every medical treatment. It is not a given that if you do this, the result will be this. Likewise in our lives. How many of you have ever walked into a room and wondered when you went to flick the switch on the light whether the light would actually go on? I'll bet very few of you, perhaps if you knew the light bulb was burned out already. Or how many of you ever go to a telephone and pick it up and wonder whether there'll be a signal on the other end? I would doubt very few of you would experience that. That's because you've never lived in the third world. I can't tell you how many times in the years that we lived in Costa Rica and Venezuela that we would walk into a room and flick the switch and there'd be no lights because nobody had electricity, because the electrical generation system was down. How many times we would think that we were going to call home and talk to our family and we'd go to pick up the phone and there'd be no signal because it had rained the day before and all the cables were now washed out under the ground. And there was no remedy until it simply dried up. When the infrastructures of our routines do not uphold our expectations, then the routine becomes miraculous. When we no longer can count on ourselves and all of our man-made contraptions and systems, then providence becomes miraculous. A resource. The message of Jesus and the prophet Elisha is that is what we need to assume under all conditions, even when we are at our best. That everything depends upon the providence of God. Whether it is the engine in our vehicle, the electric light on the switch, the telephone, or our bodies that it is always a question of will we trust the providence of God to meet our need? That is the question that Jesus raises, that Elisha raises, that the miraculous raises for us. And it is an important piece of the question that I asked you at the beginning. The PR, the witness the testimony that we must have is not that we have been healed but that we have been healed by God what is important to understand you see is that only in giving God credit for what happens in our lives is glorifying to him and edifying to us let us pray The miracle worker is oftentimes the star of the show. And we look for those people. We watch those people and we have expectations of them, Lord. But the truth for us is that the wonder of the miraculous is the wonder of who you are and what you do every moment of every day in sustaining a universe. We magnify and worship you this morning as the God of providence. And recognize, O Lord, that the miracles that you have performed in our lives and in the lives of those that we know and love are simply signs and seals of your continuous loving providence And provision through Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. The flowers that grace the communion table today are presented by Tom and Kathleen Williamson in celebration of their wedding anniversary and the congregation's birthday. They are a gift, as are our offerings and gifts and ties to the Lord, because the Lord has been good to us, to each of us and to all of us, and in giving we find our joy Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to offer thanks and praise. God of all mercies, we give you humble thanks for all your goodness and loving kindness to us and to all people. Give us such an awareness of your mercies that with truly thankful hearts we may show forth your praise, not only with our lips but in our lives, by giving up ourselves to your service, and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days. Through Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be all honor and glory, now and forever. Amen. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to open our time of prayer uh, with some opening prayers, and then I will give opportunity for you to share your concerns, and to each concern, I will ask that the Lord hear our prayer and uh, say the Lord in his mercy and you will respond hear our prayers okay and we will close them with the Lord's prayer alright there's two things that we're going to do after we're done praying today one is we're going to allow Steve the opportunity to educate us about our history and the other is we're going to say farewell to Ivan and his wife who are returning to Colombia okay and we'll have a special prayer for them as well. All right? Let's pray. Almighty God, you are great and gracious. And your presence in our lives, while not always recognized by us, is constant and sure. It is why we can pray like we do and raise up from our hearts and minds the concerns we have for those that we love, those that we have genuine desire to see blessed. We ask, O oh Lord, that you hear us now as we pray for the needs that are raised. For Charles' hip surgery, Lord, in your mercy. For Richard and his struggle with cancer, Lord, in your mercy. For Kathleen and Tom in grieving Libby's passing, Lord, in your mercy. For Marlon, as he fights this this dreadful disease, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For Jordan and the children of our congregation at Warwick, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For both Jacob and Matthew, for their healing, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, for Valentino, in his struggle with cancer, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, we pray for Lucy, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Tara, we raise to you, O Lord, as she struggles against cancer, Lord, in your mercy. For the populace of Syria, O Lord, hear our prayer. For these and many unmentioned concerns and desires of our hearts, we come to you, O Lord, and lay them bare, knowing that it is because of the prayer that Jesus continually gives before you that we have the basis of knowing the answer to our own prayers. Therefore, we pray as he taught us to pray, boldly saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for yours is the kingdom the power and the glory forever amen
2: our history goes back to uh new york city it was an instance where the dutch settled New York City and it was 1628 when the Collegiate Marble Church Marble Collegiate Church was founded Uh, the second church was a movement into New Jersey and that was the Bergen Church in Jersey City and then there was a movement that took place with the Huguenots and the Dutch into the Rarton Valley area. And that was Rarton itself. That became the Somerville Reformed Church. At one time, that whole area was referred to as uh, Rarton. Getting closer, it was an instance now, uh, this area was settled. But it was a man by the name of Eddion, and he owned parcels along the Raritan River. And it was a case where a church was going to start. But from Indian's Ferry, there was no Highland Park Bridge. You had to take the ferry to go to Highland Park. It was a case where three miles down Route 27, a church was established which was called the Three Mile Run Church. Now this has a bearing on us because in a few years a division of that church came about and it separated and that portion that separated became the Franklin Park Reformed Church. In 1730, the Three Mile Island, (laughs) three-mile church, decided to come to New Brunswick. It's hard for me to understand why there wasn't a church in New Brunswick at that time already, but they came back to New Brunswick, which became the first reformed church of New Brunswick. Mm. That's where we come into the picture. It was an instance where 23 individuals Decided that they would like to start a church. And some of the reason was the church was too many people already. It was crowded. And actually, it was an instance, maybe the overcrowding came about because the pews were rented. Each person paid a certain amount of rent for their spot. Eventually, maybe it became full, and there was no room for other individuals to come in and sit down and hear the message. Well, it was a case where these 23 individuals felt that they would like to start another church. At the seminary, there was a professor by the name of Van Van Vanderken, and he decided that he would go to classes and request that these 23 people would be allowed to start a church. And uh, classes heard them out, and uh, they came to a decision that uh, they are able to start a church, and that's where even this coming Tuesday was precisely the day, February 14, 1843. This Tuesday will be the exact day It's an instance then, they had to find some place to worship. The First Reformed Church didn't want to have them, and maybe it was a good thing. Now, on George Street, there was a Baptist church, which I remember. That particular church let them come in and have their worship services there. At the same time, at the corner of George and Albany Street, there was a congregation, and they were allowed to use their space also. But for some reason, they decided to sell that location. It was an instance where the Second Reformed Church bought that location for $3,345. Can you imagine what that corner is worth today? (laughs) Unbelievable. It was a case then they started worshiping at that corner. Eventually, that got demolished, and they built another church at that corner. And it was a case where uh, David Demarest was a student at the seminary. He was preaching part-time and he became the minister for that our church. Then there was a case where uh, the congregation got big and they wanted to, uh, thinking of having another church, they went to Caddy Corner diagonally and they bought property there and decided to start a church at that particular corner. That particular corner uh, evidently had some uh, problems. It was an instance where uh, there was a water drainage and whatnot, but from a little street up the street was a street called Spring Alley. I always wondered why it was called Spring Alley. There was actually a spring at that spot and it would flow down to where the new construction was to take place for the church. Well, either way, it finally got built and in time, it was the same thing. It was a case where another location, it's too noisy. We have to find some place where we can actually worship in peace and quiet. So they decided they're going to look for a place. Well, where would they look? They thought of Livingston Avenue. They thought of Deke Fraternity House, only two sites away from here, which would be at the foot of the seminary. They even thought of the Methodist Church, which was on the corner of Hamilton and Eastern Avenue. But finally, they settled for this location two parcels, this parcel and that house over there. Well, it turned out that this parcel was owned by a member of the church, Williamson's. That house, in turn, was picked up and moved to Stone Street, where we have Trinity House today. Then, in the meantime, uh, it was later on. By the way, uh, while they were at the corner of George and Albany Street, the parsonage was on Union Street. They decided that eventually they would have to have a parsonage also here, and they disposed of that, and they bought the parsonage over here. Now, it's an instance where... The church itself is very unique. They wanted a church that was symbolic. Everything in it should be have a symbol, a certain reason. The church tower has the rooster. That reminds us of Peter, renouncing that he knew Christ three times. In the meantime, uh, it was an instance where... Uh, We have the chandeliers. They are the apostles, 12 on each chandelier. Uh, We have the heaven, which represents God's place, our Father who art in heaven. Then we have the cross. The cross is Christ present with us. He already did his deed. He has paid the sacrifice of his own body. And actually, he is a living individual that is within us. Then we have the father, son and Holy Spirit, and all the sconces, and the church. Uh, This pulpit was donated by the Demarest family when this place was built. Uh, The chairs are from the church that was at the corner of Georgia and Albany. These are the original pews came from that church. Uh, I believe the two bureaus in front, the two little desks in front also were from the church, the original church. Uh, It's an instance where the educational unit was built before, almost a year before, the sanctuary. Uh, the sanctuary is dedicated, pardon me the site sang- the the educational unit, the upper portion or the whole building probably, is uh, dedicated also to David Demarest. Um, the communion table here is by one of the original Persons of the 23, Mm. Isaiah Rolfe. So here, you know, it's an instance where uh, you have so many things, and there's even things that I cannot uh, surmise. There are other things. Oh, pardon me. The window in front, the glass stained window, also came from the First Reformed Church the Second Reformed Church down on uh, the corner of Georgia and Albany. So uh, it's an instance where, uh, you know, uh, time has gone by. Uh, we're small in numbers, but there's still something happening within the last few years. Is a change taking place where uh, individuals are energized and want to Uh, move forward, and it's a good thing that uh, this is going to take place because uh, it's dependent upon uh, a few number that will eventually accomplish the work that uh, God intends, not only worldwide, but especially uh, locally. Uh, We are concentrating more on the local issues than on the worldly issues. Because God Almighty is going to solve the worldly issues. But we are concerned at this time with the local. I
0: thank you. Whenever you celebrate a birthday, um, you celebrate a place, but we also need to celebrate people. And uh, I'd like all of you to just kind of take your hand and stroke your cheek and celebrate the fact that you're here. And you are the church. You are a second Reformed church this morning. You. And you. And you. And you. And even if this building disappears tomorrow, we will still be here. Because the people of God are the church of Jesus Christ.